Hello, and welcome to Shakespeare, the official Lionface Productions podcast where we talk about Shakespeare. My name is Chase, your mostly quiet producer. Today, we conclude our discussion of the Merchant of Venice. If you live in Northwest Ohio and would like to get involved with our organization, be it to act, direct, or anything else theater-related, please reach out to us at facebook.com slash lionfaceproductions. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Shakespeare and at ShakespearePod. And now, on with the show. Who's going through time trying to find his kids, or the kids are trying to find a dad. And he's telling the whole story, and it's all about this time-traveling stegosaurus that picks him up in a hot air balloon. I mean, come on. Fortune of the Milk is probably one of my favorite books that I've read in the last ten years. It's good. It's good. Um, Neil Gaiman and I, like, what I want when I write a book, I want Neil Gaiman to want to meet me. That's that's where I... That is a, a good, like... The, benchmark for your life goals. I think. A, that's a heck of an aspiration, for sure. It yeah. is. Well, I figure most authors don't get famous till they hit 40. So I've got, as of next weekend, four more years. Four more years. We had um, the International Children's Book Illustration Museum is in Findlay, Ohio. <gasps> Fun fact. Did you go? Yeah. Oh, I go all the time because they do two conferences a year. And uh, I actually got to go to the whole summer conference this summer, which was great. And Ryan T. Higgins was one of the authors. I didn't know that was in it's in yeah, Finley, that? Ohio. It's called the Mazza Museum. It's at the University the, of Finley. The, the, the popcorn museum is in Pennsylvania. I didn't. There is a popcorn museum. Sometime when Hannah's like, I have no idea what to do with the kids. What should we do with the kids? And like, yeah. go to the popcorn you museum. Go to the popcorn museum. She's like, Duh, I've gone to dumber museums with you. I'm like, yeah, we went to the Maritime Museum. <laughs> that was pretty. I heard. Yeah, I heard that was. A, I'm glad I kind of missed that one. The kids had fun when we got to, like, the one section for kids, but the rest of it was kind of... The thing, yeah, the thing with the picture book illustration museum is that it is a little bit more for adults than it is for kids, unless they've got, like, a school group there, because then they gear it for kids. But they've got, like, just this entire gallery of donated, like, original pieces of art that they have their finished book there, so you can compare... Um, the two, but they do this conference for librarians and teachers in the summer. And so, uh, I got to go for the full conference this year and, uh, Ryan T. Higgins is one of my new favorite authors and he was there and he's the one who wrote Penelope Rex. We don't need our classmates. I'm going to order that right now because I really want that book. Um, I have it here. You can read it before you leave. Uh, but he's got another one. His like ongoing characters is, is, um, his first book was called Mother Bruce. And it's about a grumpy old grizzly bear named Bruce who really likes eggs. He likes to cook different egg recipes. Ooh, oh, I have read him. And so he he gets these eggs, and then he needs some something else that the fire goes out. So he has to go out and get more wood for the fire. And when he comes back, the eggs have hatched. Um, and so now he has goslings, and he does not want to have goslings. He wanted to he have wanted eggs. To have and so they follow him around because he's their mother now, and he eventually just accepts it in the end that he is the mother to these four goslings. We have Mother Bruce. Yeah, Mother Bruce. There's four Bruce books. Yeah, we have Mother Bruce. Uh, I mean, when she started saying Bruce, I'm like, yeah, ah! it's Ryan T. Higgins. He's really cool. One of his favorites um, for a little while. I don't know. I can't remember the title of it, but it is uh, about a little girl who has a hamster, and then she imagines what all other fantastical pets that she could have instead. You know, like a unicorn or a Chiron or Manticore mm-hmm. or everything like that. And I wish I could remember the title of it. But it was a fun uh, introduction to mythological creatures for my 
Yeah, that sounds like it would be. Can I handle this segue? Yeah. yeah, sure, if you want to. Okay, so we're talking about picture books. Oh, yeah, here it is. Which one is it in? Oh, I'm super excited. I don't know what's about to happen, but I want it. And we have this book called Bravo, Mr. William Shakespeare. Oh, <laughs> And nice. in this is the picture book condensed version of The Merchant of Venice, which Chase and I read today. Oh, wow. Somewhere in here. Where are you? I saw Cleopatra. Yeah, Anthony Cleopatra's in here. I swear, I promise I read it. <laughs> so a Not nearly as much uh, teeth bleeding huh. in that at one. Oh, super fun. You can't see this because it's a podcast. <laughs> But yeah, uh, what is this? This is called it's Bravo. Called Bravo, Mr. Mr. William Shakespeare. Shakespeare. And that's seven of them, and there's another one called Tales from Shakespeare, which is also seven other. Seven other more. That one so looks like it has Midsummer in it. This well, one's in, got some of the bigger ones. In this particular adaptation of Merchant of Venice, I would like to point out that uh, Gradiano's kisses make you fly. <laughs> Because yes. Marissa is totally flying while making out with Radio me, too. Gives you wings. And if you look at this picture of Antonio and Shylock, oh gosh, which one's supposed to be the bad guy? The illustrations yeah. oh. are not great. Oh uh, my gosh. No. Wow. That's really racist. <laughs> I know. Yep. It, it's really yeah, racist. Yeah, that's really racist. The Shylock character, big nose, gray skin. Yeah. Yeah, it's not great. Long, pointy it's not beard. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah, it's not ideal. Not... Not what we want our children to think But of. it's a good summary. Also, of... in this, there's only one depiction of Shylock in the entire thing. No, there's... Oh, there's another page. There's another I page. I lied. Oh my gosh, it's even worse! <laughs> oh, no! Oh, well, that's awful. That's... Yep. But in terms of... bias has come from. Yeah, in terms so of condensing the story... This episode of the <laughs> Shakespeare podcast... Um, is going to be Beth flipping through a picture book. I'm going to put it down now and look at it later because I want to prove Ryan wrong. Let's talk about episode uh, 22 of Shakespeare. I'm Ryan Halfhill. I'm Beth Roars. I'm Cassie Greenley. I'm Chase Greenley. And we are back for the second part of our two-parter on The Merchant of Venice. So We don't need the full title this time around. Uh, Except we're going to start off talking about the Jew. We are, um, and how I really don't feel like the word comical should be in that extended title. I don't at all. It shouldn't. So the, that's, that's, that's Shakespeare tacking on that crap at the end, the Act 5, yeah. you know, yeah. to try and make it into, oh, oh, no, it's, funny. it's funny. It's not funny, and that part was not good. Most of this play is not good. Yeah, well, there's... There's there's some really there's great some speeches. Moments. There are some moments. There's there are some, some really great speeches yes. from this show. If you're show. looking for a monologue, if somebody says you have to come up with a classical monologue, Merchant of Venice is a great place to go. You're going to find some nice, meaty yeah. monologues. You've got you the quality do. of mercy is not strained. You've got the if, if you prick us, do we not bleed? bleed? You've got um, some nice stuff from uh, the Prince of Morocco. Like yeah, are, so you've got 80 lines to choose from there. <laughs> yeah. So you've got some nice long speeches that you can pick from. So this would be an excellent place to go to for that. And if you're looking for a female character to do a monologue for, I'm going to tell you right now that whatever director you're auditioning with has heard the quality of Mercy 7,000 times. But yeah. Portia, Portia is one of the most common 
Shakespearean monologues uh, that For, female actors use. And right. See, I did, but it, it is it, it is, is worth knowing. It yeah, is worth no, it's doing. a good speech. Um, I did a Portia monologue for my Shakespeare performance class, but I did her prose uh, monologue from scene two oh, when she's the, talking to Nerissa. All, the, all these dudes are after me? Yeah, I did all these dudes are after me. That's yeah. what it's called, actually. Um, <laughs> that is the official, the official Why wouldn't I give the official title? <laughs> yeah, all these dudes all these dudes are after me. Yeah, if, if to do were as easy as to know what we're good to do, chapels up in churches and poor men's cottages, princes' palaces... Uh, I did that speech where she's basically saying, like, I like to give advice. I'm not great about following it, but I like to give it. But it's I also, give good advice. So when we're talking about Shakespeare's prose pieces, they're an excellent point in time to work with an actor mm-hmm. about how to find meaning. Yes. Because, as you just said, that garbledy gook of words... If you don't take a moment to find the objective between each word, yeah. you're going to lose meaning in some really complex structuring. There, so, they are very good for like a, a study in... So Porsche's got some excellent, like, let's, let's take a look, let's take a study in what is Shakespeare saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, we also, we talked about, uh, <laughs> the beginning of the first episode of this, we talked about uh, Sir Patrick... Yes. Giving our forsooth. Forsooth. I know not why I am so sad. Giving us a cadence lesson. Because that's a problem when it comes to directing people with in Shakespeare is how do you get them off the Forsooth, I don't know why I am so sad. I will smack that out of an idea. I'm like, no 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 no. Get Shakespeare off his pedestal. No 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 no. That's not how I want you to say it. Because, yes, there is a meter to it, but the meter should flow. Yeah. It's not forced. Don't force it's the meter. Not, to... It's not a da dun da dun da dun da dun da dun I hate forced rhyme and I hate forced meter, which yeah. Yeah. comes up in Shakespeare often. Specifically, the worst poem he ever wrote is very forced. But I think rhyme. it's supposed to be bad. Yeah. It is supposed to be And bad. so then I don't mind it as much. It's a dad joke. It is. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the whole... That whole casket thing is a dad joke. Yeah, it Do you was know what exactly. my dad did? He made my boyfriends play uh, basketball with a horse. Because, well, not you. But, I don't know. I don't think he ever did that. No. But you lived out of town. But in high school, he would make my boyfriends play basketball with him. That was his version of cleaning a shotgun when he came to pick them up. Um, for, I think with Chris, it was, he asked him a bunch of questions from Tolkien. So Chris had to read Fellowship of the Ring. Like, there's just... there. Dads do that. And I don't know why. Did your dad do that? Did he have, like, things that he would do to your boyfriends? Okay, well... Here's an interesting uh, point of fact about my life. Uh, my first boyfriend ever is sitting at this table. Hello. So She married him. I married him. So I... We didn't really look at your <laughs> options, did you? <laughs> So no, she saw, no my, she saw what yeah. she wanted, and she said, "Yeah, I want that so guy." So I, I didn't have boyfriends I mean, in high school for my father to intimidate, but I don't. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't feel like my That's dad old. did hey, anything hey, like that. Hey, Brynn no, and I still take credit for really. introducing these two. I don't think the chase explosion. <laughs> but no, my dad didn't because. Did you guys ever meet didn't. dads that would do things like that? 
I accidentally walked in on a girlfriend's dad, like, reloading some some shells in the back room. But he was literally in the back room, and I was just trying to get to the backyard, because we were there for, like, a party. And so I was like... Who oh. reloads shells during what a party? What you didn't know well, is that he... It was a kid's party. It was oh, like even, a, even, <laughs> even a better time for loading yeah, shells. Yeah, the wolves away. <laughs> well, he was... It was a high was, school kid. He was just doing his hobby of he loading was, shells. Well, yeah, exactly. He was, But he was in, like, a... He was out of the way. It's not like he was doing it to be intimidating. I just happened to, like, open the door and be like, oh, this is not how to get in the backyard. Oh, I thought this was the bathroom. Now, my, my dad liked to ask Tolkien questions and quiz people, and he played horse with a couple of the high school boyfriends. Only one was worthy of playing horse with. Yeah. He had one kid. He was real short. <laughs> and the other one was... But yes, yeah, so, so I was a beard, so he didn't Porsche's, work as well. Porsche's dad. This whole scenario oh. is weird to me, and it's like it. I call this the B plot, but it's not really because it directly contributes to the A plot. Because if Bassanio didn't feel like he had to prove himself to win Porsche for this contest, if he just showed up, because he could have, and that's the biggest thing for me is. Bassanio did not need all of this money. He didn't need to make himself. Have, yeah. But is 3,000 ducats really a ton of ducats? I yeah, so, I yeah. think it's a pretty hefty amount, considering a dude was waiting for ships to come in to have 3,000 ducats. Yeah. Um, so he just wanted to look more impressive. It wasn't, he was trying you know, to live the high life. It wasn't you have to oh, hit okay. this level. It wasn't you have to be like this level of rich in order to pursue my daughter. Because, to ride this ride. because the whole thing with the caskets was to kind of weed out the people who were just interested in the money and that That's, whole uh, aspect. But like, why did nobody pick lead? Because my first thought would have been, oh, can't be gold. That's too obvious. <laughs> Probably not. Well, so that is that well, is the Prince of Aragon. He's like. No, no, no. I bet everybody chose the gold one. So I'm going to choose one of the other ones. Actually, what I love about these two guys... Where'd he get the skulls? It's his skull. It's his skull. <laughs> that's super creepy. That's what I'm going with. That's, 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 that's what I'm going with. It's his skull. When I die. Fucking yeah. dad. Boil, just, boil my head. Get my skull. But I really want a sassy gay put it, friend... Put it in the, put it in the box. ...version of this, because I want somebody to sit down with the sunny and go, you don't need that money. Just... Just go win the contest. What's or that? to go to Portia and say, Portia, your dad's dead, honey. You have the money. So why are you doing this? So what I'm hearing from you is, Beth, you should write a one act, which is the voice of reason visits Shakespeare plays. Yes. So instead of writing all the fools meeting, next time I'll write just the, the voice, voice of, of reason. reason. And it'll hey, just Bisanio. it'll literally it'll, it'll literally just, be somebody named Cassie coming in to talk to everybody. Like, why are you doing this? This is the dumbest thing in the world. Show the clipboard. Yeah. I, oh, so many wait, clipboards. Wait, pause. Visits the friar multiple times. The same friar. Why? It's always the same friar. Uh, what are you doing? This didn't work out for you the last time. Oh, I got it this time. I got it. I figured it out this time. Don't use potions, magic baby. Oh, I like the idea that he's, I, I don't know, you'd have to figure out what order to put the friar in, because part of me, like, wants Romeo and Juliet to be the last one, so that you can just go, like, look what you did. You done fucked it up majorly this time. <laughs> I, I think at some point, it's like, the, the, the end of the of the show is just the clipboard flying in from offstage, 
hitting who the friar and so then in your mind the, the voice of reason is really just the stage manager being like no this is dumb yes, yes. rewrites love rewrites. it love it all right so back no, to this play but back to this play and you you asked me at the beginning why i like portia why as much as i do i like portia as a character because i like how smart she is i like that she runs rings around everybody i wish that she was in a better play yes yes no, I don't like it when we agree. It creeps me out. So, I wish that I wish Portia's that story had, was in a different play. I wish that she had... She seems to have agency in everybody else's life as it interacts with hers, but no agency in her own life. Which makes me argue for the interpretation that she's choosing to not have agency in her it, life. It also could be the argument of the, like, Fanny Price's aunt. Like, she's just, she is the meddling spinster aunt who can help everybody else, but she can never help herself. Yeah, or. Oh, or. Or. This I, is all coming from a Cassandra who can tell everybody else the future, but can't, can't take her own advice. That's why you like Portia. She can't tell everybody the future. They don't believe her. That's true. She was cursed by Apollo. Mm-hmm. I've waited long enough. You brought up Hepsiba. Hepsiba, yep. Doing The Lancelot Gobel. The Lancelot Gobel. One of the film adaptations that's not in English of this play. I'm not gonna like this beer. Was filmed in nineteen forty. And it was an Indian Tamil language adaptation. Of this play, entitled Shylock, the film was commercially a failure, and no print of it has survived. So sadly, I can never see this version of this play that I would love to see. <laughs> Beth literally just, she she started drinking something and she... That's the worst tasting beer in the world. Oh, All right. she, did a, she did a me. Maybe you'll like it. I doubt I will. Come on. I get to play the game of Cassie drink this beer. I'm going to try and make my facial expression less intense than yours was. That's going to be my goal. It tastes like every other horrible beer. It actually is not as horrible as some other beers. This is the most sour thing, and I know it's but, a sour. But film historian Randor Guy praised it. <laughs> It's not a real name. <laughs> Randor guy. Just some random guy, right? Random guy. Random guy. For remaining faithful to the source material, the poor performances of the cast, the costumes, and sets. But no print of this film is known to survive, <laughs> making it a lost film. Um, one of the reasons that it did not succeed is that nobody could relate to the characters' costumes or sets because they were they stayed they set it in Venetian Italy. In the 1500s, and the people of the Indian subcontinent did not get that in 1940. That makes sense. I was going to say, because I saw... So, my favorite adaptation of this play is the Al Pacino yeah. Merchant of Venice. I think it is very well done. If, you, if you're going to just take a quick dip in, it's a great way to understand what's going on. The characters are all likable. Shylock is very... Like, you feel for him. Um, he's not super nice to his daughter, but eh. And it is set in. I feel it's, like it's true to the source material. Yeah, I, but I feel like in that one, Shylock is 
a not great character who happens to be a Jew rather than a not great character because he is. So, which I the, think is the, the important the, yeah. distinction that, that, that's that the, you have to that's make. That's the elephant in the room that we have to talk about yeah. is that in this play, I feel for Shylock the entire time because he is an, he's an abused other. Mm-hmm. He is oh, he's shit on because of his Jewishness. Spit on. Both. But he is. This is a profession that is left to him. There are not many professions that are left to the Jewish people. This is a profession that is left to him, and he is good at it. Mm-hmm. He has made a lot of money, and people come to him often. He is respected inside the usury community. But because he is a user, and he lends, that is why Antonio looks down on him. He takes money for money. He doesn't just give it. Antonio talks about, I have it, so I give it. You make people pay you back with interest, and that makes you terrible. And maybe I take super umbrage to that, because that's what I do for a living. It's, <laughs> I will give you money, but you will give me back a percentage. But um, I also, I feel like... But he's spit on. He's called yeah, names. No, he he's, is. But I also think that Shylock has a pretty good point of, yeah, you just give money away. And because you've done that, now you don't have any because you gave it all away to this guy who's now asking you for more for money that you don't have, so you're coming to me. And that's my other thing, too, is Antonio could go to any money lender. But he goes to Shylock. He but he goes to Shylock. Shylock, yes. So he chooses Shylock because Shylock is good at what he does. Yeah. And that's the point that Shylock makes is... So you is, say that you value the service I provide while at the same time devaluing me as a human being. Yes. So Shakespeare takes a moment here to talk about that they are devaluing people. Like an entire purpose. And, and Shylock talks about the tribe, like his tribe and how he is not, he would not be true to his tribe if he did act in the way Antonio wants him to act. So, and Shylock also makes a really good point about slavery in the middle of this, too. Yes, he does, about buying people and using them as, as slaves. Uh, and that he would never do that. But that. But you know who does that? Christians do that. And they do, they do it all the time. Um, and so he is glad to not be a Christian. He is fine with it. He does not want to be part of a, a people who would give, who would devalue everybody around them in such a way. And, Shylock, that first interaction with Shylock, that is the best time in which we get to see the plight. Yeah, you need to drink that beer because I think it's I gotta, fi- I gotta find out. I gotta find out. So, but when, when we see this play put up, if they don't take the time to really get into that portion of it, yeah. then when the, when the scene comes at the end, and Shylock is just like, nope, give me your pound of flesh. I want my, I want your, you gotta die because I lent you 300, 3,000 ducats. Then he's a villain. But if you delve into that first scene correctly, then it's this man who has been so put upon has finally found a way to just yeah. force someone to respect him in the same way that everybody else is just automatically gets respected. Bassiano has no... Like, why in the world would Shylock, on Antonio's word, lend money to Bassiano? Bassiano hasn't paid Antonio back. Where the yeah. hell would he pay Shylock back? No, it's got to yeah. come from Bassiano, uh, from Antonio. Yeah. 
And I think that you have to make the the speech central to Shylock's character. You have to make it that if you prick us, do we not believe mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. Which, you know, they ask him, they're like, well, why, why would he want a pound of flesh? And his response is, if it will feed nothing else, it will feed my revenge. He hath disgraced me and hindered me half a million, laughed at my losses, mocked at my gains, scorned my nation, thwarted my bargains, cooled my friends, heated my enemies, and what's his reason? I am a Jew. He's basically saying, Antonio's done all these horrible things to me for absolutely no reason, except that I'm a Jew. And the the whole, you know... um, Hath not a Jew eyes, hath not a Jew hands, organs, dimensions, senses, affections, passions, fed with the same food, hurt with the same weapons, subject to the same diseases, healed by the same means, warmed and cooled by the same winter and summer as a Christian is. If you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? And if you wrong us, shall we not revenge? If we are like you in the rest, we will resemble you in that. If a Jew wrong a Christian, what is his humility? Revenge. If a Christian wrong a Jew, what should his sufferance be? By Christian example, why revenge? The villainy you teach me, I will execute, and it shall go hard, but I will better the instruction. It's a great speech. Oh, it is. It's beautiful. And this is, I wish that we could look back on this piece and be like, oh, wow, they were super backwards then. But I just finished a book. By, uh, Novak is the last name. No, I can't remember the first name right now because I've had too many beers. Called Spinning Silver. Naomi Novak. Naomi Novak, thank you. Um, in which it was just released two months ago. Brand new book. In which the entire central part is how Jewish people are treated when we need their services... When you, you know, you need a money lender and you go to them, how do you then treat them? So this isn't just something that was relevant in the 1500s. Mm-hmm. This is still, this anti-Semitic mentality is still something there today. There are jokes and there are uh, neo-Nazi marches and all of these horrible things that are still happening in our society now. And I think that staging this play today is a really good way to call attention to those things. And I think that if you stage this play in this day and age, and if you do it correctly, your audience should leave feeling uncomfortable. Yes. They should be made uncomfortable by the trial scene, and they should be made uncomfortable by Act 5. By the fact that these characters... Blow it off. You know, are just like, yep, we... This man's life is ruined. Yeah. He did nothing... Wrong. He did nothing wrong. I mean, maybe he shouldn't have tried to cut this guy. Maybe but, he should have found a different way for revenge, yes, perhaps. But he, until the point in which Antonio came to his house, Shylock had done nothing wrong. Yeah. There was nothing that you could hold against him, except for that they didn't really like his profession, and he's a Jew. Yeah. And because of those things, they... They were in this deal together. They all agreed on this thing. And then when it came time to pay up, they were like, no, we don't have to. No court in the world is going to see it your way. No one's going to let you take my blood. No one's going to let you, a Jew, hurt me in any way. Right. And that's why I like that when Portia is put in charge in that trial scene, she says, no, the law is with 
Shylock, and she rules in his favor. And, 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 and then and Shylock to that mercy. moment says, oh, great, a Daniel has come. Yeah. And, and she says, no, this is in his favor, and then entreats him to mercy. Yeah. Yes, you're technically in the right. However, think about the example that you want to set. Do you want to continue this cycle of, you know, reasons to hate? Like, I know that putting it this way gets into victim-blaming territory, which we shouldn't, absolutely shouldn't do. But the opportunity is given to Shylock to be the better person, to be more Christian in many ways than the Christians. And that brings me back to the quote that I gave at the beginning of the first episode, which is from um, M.J. Kennison. Oh, jeez, I can't talk. N.K. Jennison, who, if you haven't read, read. She's amazing. But she started this book that I just started from her. She started it with dedicating it to those people who have to fight for the same respect that others are automatically given. Mm-hmm. So this is another moment, and it happens so frequently. And the only thing that I feel that I can do is point out when it's happening that look, this is a moment in which we could see this today that someone who is not given respect has fought for respect and is told, "You need to turn the other cheek. You yeah. need to be the yeah. bigger man here. Think about how your people will be seen if you." Yeah. If you do whatever, what the people who automatically get respect would do. It's an unfair standard. Um, because. Uh, yeah. And I think that just needs to be the, yeah. like the end of the, it's yeah. an unfair it's standard. It's an unfair standard that, that Shylock's being held to. And the only thing we can do as, <laughs> the only thing I can do as a cis white woman is to say. As a cis white Christian woman. Is to well, say. In my case. And then mine too. Is to say. This isn't an unfair thing that happened then. This is an unfair thing that happens now. And if you don't take a second to recognize it, yeah. then you are going to perpetrate this unfairness on someone else. You are going to force them yeah. to bow their head. And again, it, it makes me wish that in the text, and which is why I said if, if I were directing this, I would put this moment in. I want Portia to hold Antonio to the same standard. I want, I want anybody her, to hold Antonio well, accountable it's for anything. He drives me crazy. I hate him so much. <laughs> um, well, and he's so blasé about. Yeah. He's like he what he sends a letter to uh, Bassiano, and he's like, "Hey, if you love if you love me, come. If not, don't come at all. But you know, all my ships are gone, and I'll probably die. Maybe I don't know. We'll see what the courts say. Yeah, like that. But so yeah, blasé. But, I Woe wish. Well, it was me. Yeah. I'm, I'm sad. I'm, Forsooth, I'm sad. I don't know why I am so I, sad. No, no. All right, are you guys I, ready for me to bring up my my other film adaptation yeah, that I'm yeah, super yeah. excited about? Sure. That I I might actually be able to find a copy of this. It's probably not going to be easy. Te Tangata Wairawa Owaniti is the Maori language ver- film adaptation of immersion events. I love that. It was released in 2002. Oh, now I got it. Oh, you're going to make phone too? All of the actors are Maori. It's done in Maori with English subtitles. 
Um, it was first translated to Maori in 1945, but they also do, they do the traditional period, 16th century Venice. It's on YouTube. Costumes surrounding, alright, so yeah, we need to, we need to watch this at some point. I need to watch the Maori language version of... It's broken down into five to version. six minute clips is, is normal for YouTube. Um, but the MTI Global Shakespeare does have it up. But the film deals with the themes of religious discrimination, revenge for past wrongs, and explores the nature of justice and mercy, as well as the effect of heritage on an individual's life decisions and the strength, wit, and wisdom of women. Uh, it's a story of deep-seated social religious prejudice, and, uh, yeah, I guess it, it got pretty good reviews. Um... It was a very, uh, one of the reviews, a very palatable and even dis- exquisite depending on your taste. Shakespeare himself would have wept at its poetic brilliance. Would he have? I don't know, but he that's what they said about it. He uh, wept at the poetic brilliance of Hamlet <laughs> done in Klingon. In its original. No, in I, the original got, Klingon. In the original I pulled Klingon. Uh, my phone out to see if there were any uh, web series adaptations. Uh, there were not. And there are also no YA novelizations that I'm aware of. It's not a not a popular one for that. No. So I have a the same guy who did all the artwork for Roldal. Mm-hmm. Quentin Blake. Yes, Quentin Blake has a uh, box set series that I picked up from Costco. Yeah, Costco of all of the all of the Shakespeare's, and they are done in a very YA style. Okay. Um, and I mean his artwork is in there too. And so, The Merchant of Venice is, again, problematic in its pictorial description. Like, in the in the yeah. visuals that are presented there, we get the same uh, propaganda of... The characterized... Yeah, the character... Yeah. Big, big nose, the sausage curls, like, the looking very Hasidic. You wouldn't be looking super Hasidic in Venice. Like, it, it, yeah. a lot of the things don't translate across. Um, but I I would be very surprised to see too many web, web, web adaptations and things like that of this piece just because of the nature of it. Because you can't yeah. make too much tongue-in-cheek out of this or you're going to go the wrong no, way. No, you would definitely have to... It's not a play that you can make light of. No, and you shouldn't make light of it. And I feel like it's a play that we should be performing so that we can start those conversations and be able to talk about Shylock as a sympathetic character and be able to put in a lot of subtler context that is showing some self-awareness from the characters, you know, mm-hmm. that we see. I mean, because the, well, the true the true villain of the play is Antonio. Yes, I hate him so much. Yeah, that's that's who I see as the villain of the play. If nothing else, he doesn't care enough for him. Shylock is not necessarily right. He's no. not the hero. He's not the hero, but he... You can understand every action that he takes. You can understand his motivations. It, he's not, like... This isn't an Iago. This isn't an Aaron. Yes. He has legitimate wrongs that have been done against yeah. him constantly. And, and we, like, the same terrible, like, there are heroes in other plays that perpetrate 
worse acts of violence. Revenge plots. Yeah. Than what Shylock attempts and never completes. Yeah. To do. And they are raised up for it. And Shylock is pulled low. Yeah. For even thinking. How dare, how dare he think that? Yeah. How dare he? Ugh. So, that, that's the elephant in the room. Is this. And we can't, is. we can't ever bury it. The other elephant in the room is how terrible that ring scene is. It's just so Again, I love it in a different play. It could have been a great end for uh, As You Like It. And I love no man who yeah. doesn't have my ring. Like, yeah. there You could have put it in yeah. any other one of the comedies that I, has I, a smart yeah. woman. I agree with what you're saying. I... I well, think Portia, it's a good Portia scene, but not. She is better served in a different play because, and and again, if I was directing this, I I would have Portia visibly wash her hands of the whole situation at the end of the courtroom scene because that, I want that's what I want from her. I want her to say to Antonio, "Okay, this is in your hands now. You show mercy. Mm-hmm. You follow. You fall in line with this Christian ideal, which is what she was preaching to Shylock." Which was that disconnect of holding someone of the Jewish faith to the Christian faith standard. There's a disconnect there. Um, it's like I, I had a friend in college who was an atheist. And uh, I remember we were walking somewhere and some, you know, evangelist was shouting to be saved and all that kind of stuff. And my friend said, you know, I'm an atheist. And I'm like, well, if you're an atheist, you're going to hell. And his response was, yeah, I don't believe that exists. So that doesn't work on me. And it's, <laughs> it's that happen. kind of disconnect is like, you can't. But so much of the Jewish faith and the Christian faith, like it's the same. It is. The first in a lot of ways. It is. But she's making the, the case about yeah. salvation yeah. and about how, you know, we were shown mercy by Jesus Christ, so we should show mercy to others, and that's not Here's where my Judaism. Luther- Here's where my Lutheranism pulls through us. Uh, saved by faith alone, and that faith is shown by your deeds. And these are not the deeds that get you saved. Yeah, and so I want Portia to turn that around on Antonio and say, prove that Christians can actually follow a Christ-like ideal. Show oh, and mercy. How, how fucking timely is that right now, huh? Yeah. Show mercy. Be merciful. Stop spitting on the Jewish people in the marketplace because that is not what we are called as Christians to do. And it's being Christian in name only and not in action. And I want that to come back on Antonio. I want anything to come back on Antonio at the end of this play. I want him to face literally a single consequence. If I... like <laughs> Literally just one. What I would love is for Portia to turn to me like, look, this is your best friend. We're done. Like, I'm not going to associate yeah. with these people. He cannot have my money. Uh, and instead in the last scene, she's like, you're very welcome here in my home. Please. Ooh. Thanks for bringing my ring back. Yeah. Birds. <laughs> so, no, I agree that Portia would be much better served in a different play. Well, honestly, this play... As much as it's a classic Shakespeare play, it really does just does not live up to where it should. The there's a lot to talk about in it, and I see why it keeps getting done. At the same time, there's a lot in it that can be 
cut away. Oh, so yes. one of the characters oh my gosh, we, so much. we flipped over almost every scene with Jessica in it, but she's a very interesting character because she is a character who has decided to leave the Jewish faith in her father's house to follow love. And I think there's an interesting parallel that you can draw between Jessica and Portia. And I think because in the one case you have Jessica whose father is just as, I think, overbearing and demanding and is alive, and she makes the choice to leave him to follow love. And then you have Portia, whose father is dead. Um, and yet she's still... And yet she's still following his instructions. Yeah. Well, she's penelope the shit out of that. I'm just going to keep unraveling this tapestry, and I'll decide when we're done. Mary, yeah. I don't want to marry any good... Um, but, but I think there's an interesting parallel that can be drawn, for right. sure, between Portia and Jessica. So I see a parallel between Jessica... And Miranda from The Tempest. Yes. So, I don't think we've done The Tempest yet. Is not officially, no. Not, uh, not, not officially. officially. Um, but so, Miranda is very put upon by her father, very led around by her father. She is uh, very marginalized by him mm-hmm. and yeah. wants to break away. Here's Jessica, who is, again, very put upon by her father, very marginalized by her father. There's no place for her except for as a servant in her father's house who wants to break away. She is a very interesting story, and it's so poorly poorly it's, developed yeah. because there's so much else in here mm-hmm. that needs to be brought out, that has to be brought out, or we're going to do a disservice and there's a lot to of an this, entire there's, people. There's a lot of this that could be cut. And more could be focused on with the Jessica and Shylock we relationship. Could, we could cut the Gobos altogether. Why? I'm kidding. We can cut the Gobos We can cut them. They don't need to be You can them. also cut... You can cut the Prince of Morocco. You can cut the Prince of Aragon. You, don't, you, gotta, you need him for the rule of three. Well, you need, well, you need you, him to show what happens when you choose Yeah, but you don't them. need to give him an 80... You do not need to give him 80 monologue. lines in monologue. No. But, but I have 80 lines <laughs> and a nice new coat. Sorry. I'm, yet again, I'm going back to Fanny Price. But you don't need you don't need Morocco and Aragon to take forever. No. You don't need them to be whole scenes devoted to Morocco choosing a fucking gold casket. You don't need a whole scene for Aragon choosing the silver casket. Yeah. You don't need that. I think it's kind of funny, like They could have done them back to back. One of them walks in, picks gold. Oh no, you're, that's wrong. You're, actually you're fucked up. Get out of here. Next guy walks in. Alright, well, I pick silver. Now you're fucked. Get out of here. I'm pretty sure I've seen it done like that. I think so. I think. I'm pretty sure that's how Mike struck it. I think he did those scenes back to back or at least together in the same But it's it's interesting for me the place that this play uh, kind of occupies in my brain because I, I know for sure when I was giving Chase the slapdash summary of the ridiculous B-plot with Portia's father in the caskets. Um, I'm pretty sure I told you that if they guessed wrong, they were killed. You did. Because I was legitimately remembering that that was true. No, it's, it's, just, it's, that they, uh, it's just that they can never... They can uh, never woo women again. Woo another woman. But Morocco again. needs an heir. Yes, but I chose the wrong casket. I chose poorly. And I think I was... Like combining than, it with Indiana Jones in my head. <laughs> rather, rather than rapidly aging, which also had anti-Semitism, so we're here. Sort of rapidly aging until you your body has decomposed into dust while you're. Oh, I guess the face mm-hmm. melted off for that. That's that's in 
and Raiders. Raiders. That's, that's I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I, pre- I, I, pre- I appreciate but, it. I appreciate it. Well, see, Ark of the Covenant is. One they of the, both freaked me out. As but Ark, Ark of the Covenant, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, is amazing because it's a movie where you can remove the hero and the events play out the same way. Yeah. Belloc still gets the thing. So takes it to the island. And opens up the thing and melts his face. Because that's... Whether Indiana Jones is involved or not. Because well, that's, that's biblical, is if you look on what's inside the Ark of the Covenant, you die. Would they have found... Either way. Um, <laughs> would they have made it to her tavern in the first place if Indiana Jones hadn't gone to find her? Yes. Okay. Because they then were yeah. looking for her, other, her dad. Okay. So, then my next question is, can we remove the hero from this? And then I thought to myself... Who is the Portia. hero? Portia. Portia. Is Portia the hero? Portia yeah. is the hero yeah. of this. She's the one who takes charge. She's the one that makes something happen in the end. As much as she so is better, we... she is better served by being in another play. This play requires her then, to be any good. Then I'm retitling this play as the Smart Lady of Venice or the Jew of Venice. <laughs> Leave that one there. The co- what? What is it? The comedy? The comical. The comical history of the Merchant of Venice. The comical history of the Smart Lady of Venice, otherwise known as the Jew of Venice. So that's my new, because the Antonio is not comical. He's no. super. He's, and the things that happen to Antonio are not, are not comical. No, uh, he's the got only a, his thing best comical friend, in his this best play friend's an idiot. Uh, and is, yeah, the only thing comical that happens in this play is that there's these dumb caskets in a room. And everybody's just like well, obeying Bas- the weird Bassanio, riddles of the dead guy. Bassanio is dumber than a box of rocks. Really and Portia, obviously, what she sees in him is not his brains. Yeah, maybe. it's he's got to be real pretty mm-hmm. because he's not smart. Well, and people mm-hmm. give a lot of money to real pretty people who are never going to pay him back. Yeah, yeah. He's got to be like the best looking person in Venice. Because that's the only thing that explains Antonio so willingly. Like, oh, well, I don't have 3,000 ducats, but I will go borrow 3,000 ducats for you. Here's a piece of Shakespeare trivia uh, that I learned from one of my Shakespeare classes. I think it was Stephanie Gearhart's literature class. Um, Bassanio is... Another version of the name Bassanio is Sebastian. Shakespeare pairs up Antonio's and, and Sebastian's. Sebastian's or Antonio's and Bassanio's a lot mm-hmm. in his plays. Well, because uh, the Tempest is Antonio and Sebastian. And, um, and Bassanio and, and Antonio and this. And Twelfth Night is Antonio and Sebastian. Yep. Antonio and Sebastian appear a lot. And there's a lot of gay subtext surrounding those characters because whenever they show up together, you can always read the re- relationship as romantic. And well, the here, funny thing is, is when I directed The Tempest, I made Antonio and Sebastian romantic. Yeah. It was just not a... It was cross-gender. Yeah. One and... Of them was, uh, Antonio was was a... Right. Pan, well, not a pants roll, but a, a gender swap. Right. And uh, you can do it very easily in Twelfth Night. Because, uh, again, it's Antonio bailing out Sebastian and giving him all his money and... Here in Merchant of Venice. You can Why is Antonio always the one with money? <laughs> Antonio is always the one with money bailing out Sebastian Bassett. Well, Antonio is almost always... Even when we have older char- characters named Antonio, they were always mm-hmm. wealthy. Hmm. I need to change my name. Tended fun <laughs> in Antonio. What's in a name? 
Someday my Antonio will come. Uh, but that's Damn a fun, Hannah. that's a fun little fact, um, about Shakespeare is if you have an Antonio, Look there's for the Sebastian. a Sebastian around somewhere. Where there's Antonio, there's Sebastian. <laughs> mm. Um, Portia but, also shows up in another play. Portia is the wife of Brutus. Yes. Oh, okay, yes. Portia is yep. also and the wife of Brutus. And Julius Caesar. So, I mean, we know that Shakespeare recycles names. But sometimes he makes them up, like Jessica. Why is that? A, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I have a friend named Jessica. I cannot wait to tell her. That By the way, I love that <laughs> it spurred a debate to make me go to the Googles on that one. And to find out the, that the etymology literally Shakespeare Shakespeare made the first time the first time Jessica was ever used in the way that it is spelled in this play Shakespeare yeah for so, this play and it's like uh, J M Barry created the name Wendy before really? the, yeah before then Wendy could be short for like Gwendolyn um, but the name just as a name by itself as Wendy was J M Barry and Peter Pan huh. I feel like that one's a little bit of cheating because Wendy was already used as short for something else. But not commonly. That's, yeah, that's fair. Gwendolyn was a lot more common name. Yeah. And but it's no. a lot less common now. My mother's name is Wendy. Hi, Wendy. I don't think she listens to this. I would have to show her how to get to yeah. a place where she could listen to this. Yes. I told my mom about this and she's like, I, I don't know if I... I don't think I don't think I want to watch, listen to you get super drunk and cuss about Shakespeare. I'm like, I well, I sober up towards the end of it. I don't know if I'm your target audience. My mother doesn't sound like that. Take it back, <laughs> Joyce. You are our target audience. You are. Oh, I love it. Um, but yeah, that's my Antonio Sebastian Bassanio. Let's say there's a little tidbit. Facts. We found out some very interesting things. There's a Tamil language version called Shylock that has been lost. That you can't watch you because it doesn't lost exist. Time. There is a Maori language with English subtitles version that was released in 2002 that I'm going to watch now that I didn't I didn't know about prior to preparing for. It's on the Google. There's it's on the YouTube. The Al Pacino version, which is very good. Which is very good. There are several film versions. There are so, several mm-hmm. film adaptations from the early 1900s on through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the Al Pacino one... Um, Why do I feel like Anthony Hopkins played Sherlock once? Because Anthony Hopkins has played every Shakespeare role, <laughs> including Portia. It was a bold take. Mm. I could be completely making this up. It was one of the versions. It might have been Howard's End. I don't really know what I was watching. <laughs> Weirdly enough, it was that Al Pacino one. Al Pacino was in Howard's End? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to delightfully misinterpret everything you say for the rest of the evening. It's probably not going to be much longer. You look tired. Um, Anthony Hopkins has played King Lear yes. in a movie that's coming out this year, or came out this year. He's played King Lear before. Um, There's a British version of Merchant of Venice that has Dame Maggie Smith in it. Almost every version of Merchant of Venice, going back to the original. I thought you were going to say has version. Maggie Smith in it. I was going to argue that. No, you know, the 1972 uh, British videotaped television version has Dame Maggie Smith in it. The 1973 has Laurence Olivier. I went to Laurence Olivier's theater with uh, Cassie. It's true. We were there. 
We're cool. We went to London together just to look at theater Oh, things. no, that's unfortunate. He played Othello. We talked about that. Yeah, we did. We did. That's, that's very So, well, and that's something most of the time, um, Shylock is not played by somebody of the Jewish faith. Right. So, that is, that is a whitewashing Al Pacino. Much Apparently, like Scarface. there is a broadcast version, BBC Radio 3 version that was, uh, I am making up Anthony Hopkins playing Shylock. Quit making up animals. Haley Atwell played Portia in the BBC Radio 3 version really? this year. Ooh. You yep. should have seen and it. And it transposed the plot from Venice to the city of London and the 2008 financial crisis. There's also one from a couple of years ago where they did The Merchant of Las Vegas. I remember reading about it. The uh, They just said it in a different You said different it was city. a radio drama? It says BBC Radio 3. Broadcast on. Oh, okay. Radio plays so, are coming back, kids. I know they're coming back, but I don't know how the location change would really translate. To, I mean, one, to a radio. If you're play. well, if you're updating it, then it, you're probably updating it beyond just language. You're updating some of the circumstances. That's fair. Because, like the Merchant of Las Vegas, they updated quite a few of the circumstances in there. I have so. a film. In my, uh, I feel, Morton, I've got a list of films. I feel like we're, we're kind of running towards the end here. Yeah, I think we are. I think we're, we've um, talked about a lot of adaptations. We've talked about. So when I walked into the room today, it was very much like a, I always thought I really liked this play, but when I reread it again, it's not a reader. This is not a reading play. No, this is, and a, there, you have to see it. There are plays that are good reading plays. This is not one. This is a see it. Yeah. Because you need to see it with someone's interpretation. Yeah. You need so you need somebody's yeah, you need somebody's uh, the, stamp on it. The film bibliography in my Norton Shakespeare it lists the films and it gives a quick description of what makes them stand out. So the nineteen eighty version. Um textually faithful but stilted. Gemma Jones is a chilly calculating Porsche. Um but the Al Pacino one sumptuous period costumes and sets. It is beautiful. Yes. Um, this production emphasizes the disquieting aspects of the play, not only the Venetians' anti-Semitism, but also the struggle between Portia and Antonio over Bassanio's allegiance. And I feel like you can make Act 5 work if you take out the comical aspect of it and make it a legitimate... Make it concern her, of Portia's. Her staking her claim. Over, yeah. Because they are married at that point, so it's kind of hard to back out of that. And so you could really play up that struggle of, this wasn't just a ha-ha moment for me to show you that I'm smarter than you. This was for me to test who are you really more loyal to, me or your buddy Antonio over there. Oh, not that buddy. He's not a good guy. But yeah, so... One consequence. Just one. Just one. Just one. Um, yeah. I just want his name just dragged through the tabloids, at least. Something. Well, there's... I don't think there's a good Antonio in all of Shakespeare, so... Maybe that's Oof. part of... That's that's a put a that. pin in it. Let's, that's a put a pin in it, because I can't let's find, back let's that find up with a good right Antonio. Now. A good Antonio. We'll, so. search, we'll search forever. Yeah, so I think we're going to leave that at... This was... And is a good play. It just really needs somebody who's going to pay attention to it. There's a lot of meat here. It just, 
There's also a lot of gristle. There's a, a shitload of gristle. You've got to work around. We have to work a lot to get the meat off the bone. Yeah, yeah. Just, with this play. And Jessica's worth saving. You just really gotta get around. The, like, well, I guess you're staying at your dad's house. Oh no, you're staying over here now. Well, you're really just a placeholder, huh? Like, there's more to her than just a placeholder. Yeah, I agree. No, you have to put a lot of effort in to get something out of it. But you can get a lot out of it. You can. She passes the Brexel test. The Brexel test? Yeah. The Brexel test. What's the Brexel test? (laughs) Don't hit me! What's the pretzel test? I'll show you the pretzel test later. (laughs) Oh my? I don't know what that means. It means whether or not... And on that note... (laughs) I'm gonna eat pretzels. Uh, this has been, I believe, episode 22 of the Shakespeare podcast. I'm Ryan Hatfield. My name's Beth Roars, and I'm going to take a nap. I'm Cassie Greenlee, and I think at this time of night, that's just going to sleep. That's called sleep. I'm Chase Greenlee, and yeah, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> good night, King John boy. <laughs> Magic babies! Whoop-ho! Whoop-ho! Ugh, we're done. <laughs>